Hello, we're back. Welcome to the High Performance Podcast. Here we go then, Series 4, can you believe? And as we push towards 3 million downloads, I just want to say a really special welcome to any new listeners who haven't been here before. Welcome to your new weekly hit of inspiration, a podcast that will give you tools for living the life you want and just genuine, honest pearls of wisdom from our high performance guests. Welcome along to the new podcast. We can't wait for you to hear the kind of things that our guests are going to be telling us over the next few weeks. We've got some amazing episodes lined up and we've had loads of people rating and reviewing the pod while we've been away. And a message from Earl Tolbert said, Jake and Damien, thank you so much. These are my go-to podcasts for insights, inspiration and new perspectives. I've just listened to the roundup of series three and I'm buzzing. Well, Earl Tolbert, for you and for everybody else, welcome to series four. This is our very first guest. I can't wait for you to hear what this man has to say. He's a genuine winner and his mindset is something that I think we can all learn from. Please do rate and review the podcast. It makes a huge difference to us. You can also follow us across Instagram at High Performance. Damien and I are regularly hosting live chats on there and we've also got our own YouTube channel as well. You can find that by searching High Performance Podcast on YouTube. So there's loads of places that you can interact with this podcast. We want it to be a community that genuinely helps you but the best place to start is with an episode of the podcast. So here we go. Episode one, series four of the High Performance Podcast. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there, I'm Jay Comfrey and this is High Performance where we delve into the minds of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs and artists on the planet, unlock the unspoken secrets to their success to help you follow in their footsteps. Professor Damien Hughes, the wind beneath my wings is with me and look Damien, if it's people with a positive growth mindset, um, talking and playing football, well they're two of our favourite things so I think we're, we're going to enjoy today. I'm really excited about meeting today's guest Jake. When I was doing some preparation for it, I was reminded of a quote from one of our own previous guests, Sir Clive Woodward, who said that winning doesn't happen in straight lines. 
And we know that it's true for all high performers that they get where they are and there's, oh, most of them will experience bumps in the road. And I think it's certainly true to say that today's guest has taken the scenic route to the top. And I'm really excited to explore that with them. Okay, let's do it then, because here at the High Performance Podcast, we believe that it's time to rethink footballers. It's our national sports, right? Little old England has created the best league in the world, yet we don't celebrate it. We deride footballers, we criticise their wealth, we seize on any little mistake they make. We make very few allowances for young, gifted, highly judged teenagers competing on the world stage. Yet, from Frank Lampard to Rio Ferdinand, Tyrone Mings to Steven Gerrard, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer to Maurizio Pochettino, this podcast has so far proved there is so much more to our footballers than we allow ourselves to believe. It's time they were just unboxed. However, for that to happen, I think we need to be asking different questions and they need to allow themselves to be vulnerable. So let's welcome a Premier League captain, a Premier League winner, a man for whom football has been an ever-present in his life, he might be the son of a legend, but we want to find out how he created his own story, how he forged his path, how he fought, how he failed, but crucially, how he didn't lose faith. So get ready for a conversation, not about football, but about life with Kasper Schmeichel. Welcome to the High Performance Podcast, Kasper. Thank you very much. Thank you for the uh, the nice intro there. Um, yeah, I'm uh, really excited to be here. So what is high performance? To me, high performance is performing to the maximum of your capabilities to be realistic with what's achievable for someone of, that has your, your skills and uh, to absolutely maximise every single minute of every day to achieve your goals. Right. You know what I find interesting about that answer is when you talk about being realistic. Yeah, I've heard you say somewhere else, so I know that you said you always believed you would win the Premier League, right? So is that a realistic target? Well, it was, and it is, definitely. <laughs> but it's quite a mindset, isn't it? If you talk about realism and that's your realism, maybe, maybe that's the key. If I don't believe it. Who is going to believe it? That's, that was always, that's always my mindset. So I think in elite sport, you're never going to be given anything. So people will always you know, tear you down and they'll always find a reason to not believe you. So you have to have that much inner belief in your own abilities and obviously with it being a team game you, you, you're, you're controlled a little bit by where you are and, and the circumstances you're in but for some reason and, and I can't tell you why and when you delve into it maybe it's maybe it's got something to do with winning was was very normal in my family um, so the standard was kind of set and uh, for some reason I always had this inner belief that that one day I would win the Premier League and um, I always had it in my head uh, didn't really speak it and um, the people around me knew that I believed it and, and that was fine for me and it, it really came came hitting home one day I was doing a speech at my, uh, at my old school this was probably about 2012 2013 maybe something like that and um I was writing this uh, along with with my uh, performance psychologist. I was writing, you know, what you know, the, the kind of things I wanted to say, the messages I wanted to get across, and um, we wrote it, and it was really good. And then I showed it to my dad, or I performed it, whatever you want to call it, to my dad, and he was kind of like, "Well, it's really good, but I think you're missing something." And I was like, "Well, what what, what do you mean? 
you keep going around saying that you believe that you'll win the Premier League, but have you ever dared to actually say it publicly, put your neck on the line and say that you'll do it? I was like, no, I haven't. So he said, well, this is a perfect opportunity. You're going back to your old school. If you believe it, say it. So I made a promise to them that the next time I'd come back, I'd have won the Premier League. So that the whole, I did the whole speech and I finished with a picture that I had of me when I was younger with the Premier League. And I, I said to them, next time I come back here, I will have won this. And yeah, and lo and behold, it, 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 it happened. But um, yeah, it was a, it, it's, it's one of those things when you then do it, you want it again more more and more there's nothing there's no feeling like it there's nothing that can that can replace that feeling of winning can i ask you then casper that a lot of people might have dreams or ambitions or aspirations that they hold but they lack the courage to ever articulate them out loud similar to how you were until you made that speech so why do you think that is well i think it's the it's the fear of of failing and you, you talked before about daring to be vulnerable. This was me being vulnerable, because if this didn't come to fruition, I, I you know, I'd, I'd probably look a bit, you know, like I wasn't realistic, and you know, and and, I, and it did get some funny looks. Of course, it did. You know, we were playing it in the championship at the time, and for me now, the goal is still to win the Premier League. The goal is still to win trophies, even more so. That desire is is so much more. It's so much more relentless now, and. And my my motivation every day since the day we won that 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 trophy, I didn't think it could get bigger. But it's just that feeling you want it again, you need it again in your life. And uh, and I think we're we're on a really really good path at the moment. I feel like that we 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 at Leicester at the moment are are working towards those things. And and being part of that process is uh, is, is fantastic. And then having the you know, being at a different stage in my life now, a more experienced player, you know, to to be a part of, of a young team that's coming through and, and performing really well and with, with great, great potential is really exciting. I think that this is an example, isn't it, of where self-talk can be really beneficial. And I, we, we discuss self-talk and the language you use in your own head really often on this podcast, but I still believe 95% of people underestimate actually how important it is. I wonder whether if we go back into the Leicester dressing room in April 2016, whether that inner self-belief that you always knew you were going to win the Premier League was almost quite grounding for you. And, and it you almost felt like, of course, we're nearly winning the Premier League because I've always believed this was going to happen. And how, how beneficial all those years of telling yourself that this was what was going to happen to you actually proved when it really mattered. I think the the, the ability to convince yourself of, of something is so important because like I say if you don't believe it yourself then you, you, no one else is going to believe you you can't convince anyone else so you have to be so so steadfast in your convictions that that I am this is what I'm going to do and this is the way I'm going to do it and I was lucky that I grew up with with a father who had done these things that's where the beneficial side has been because I was able to see firsthand the sacrifices, the training, you know, the, the eating, the resting, all the things you have to do, all the, the stuff you see, you, you don't see, all the stuff away from football, the life you have to live. It's boring sometimes. It's incredibly boring, but it's a process. And to get to where you want to be, you have to go through this process. And I saw that firsthand and I was lucky that I had access to some of the greatest footballers this league, the Premier League has ever seen in Manchester United to, to actually be there 
and watch training, be in the dressing room and, and, and hearing these guys and seeing them, seeing the, the work ethic, you know, that relentless drive and striving for perfection, the real harsh environment that, that winning requires, that rubs off, off on you. And in my head, I was always saying, oh, this is what I want. I want this, that this is the life I want to win these things. I've seen these incredible achievements from the inside and I've seen what they do, the feeling that it gives you, what it did to everybody around the club, what it did to the people, you, you know, you, you're driving home, I'm sitting in the back of the car and there's thousands of people, you know, clamoring around my dad's car. It means the world to people. So that was just ingrained in me from there. I, you know, I wanted to be a part of that and I wanted to have that, that responsibility of making these people happy, like having a, a fan base really support you that much and, and have it mean so much to people that when they go to work the next day, the, the result that they've just witnessed will depend on what their week's going to be like. Your background really intrigues me, Casper. That I know you grew up in Manchester, but you grew up in a Danish household and um, with its famously utilitarian view that, you know, well-being is as important as outcomes. And at the same time, you had a privileged access into behind the scenes at Manchester United during the most successful period in the club's history before going off to Portugal at a time when there was a real renaissance in Portuguese coaching. So what intrigues me is what experiences did you learn in that adolescent period of your life that have shaped you to be the person you are today? I would say take nothing for granted, be thankful, be grateful. I grew up extremely privileged and I talk a lot to, to friends about this, you know, how, how do you grow up privileged and still be thankful? You know, no, I've never needed anything in my life. So that's maybe been the trigger for me to, to go and work for something that nothing, no one can buy me, no one can give it me, only I can do it. And to play in a position like a goalkeeper where I am solely responsible for, for every action and every error that I make, that is probably where uh, one of the biggest lessons. See, I find this quite fascinating, Casper, because we have this narrative that to reach the top in any sport or any industry, we need to have experienced real struggle and difficulties. And that you've described growing up in a household with relative luxury and comfort. Now, there's the old Joe Louis quote that says it's hard to get up and run when you're wearing silk pyjamas. And yet you did force yourself to get up and run. So what was it in you that forced you to go and experience those struggles? I grew up in a world of privilege, but I struggled massively. As great as it was sometimes to be the son of, of Peter Schmeichel and, and have that kind of access, as, as horrible it was as well. You know, if when I went to school in Portugal, for, you know, to take an example, being 12, 13 years old, if Sporting Lisbon lost, I wasn't going to school on Monday. That just wasn't happening. Wow. Because it was, that was the, the fanatical culture. It meant the world to these people. And... If they saw me, their frustrations would vent to me. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, I've had a hard life. I, I've, I've had my, my, my share of struggles with things, but, you know, I'm a strong person and, and I get through those things because I believe that what I'm doing is, is the right thing. And I believe I, I go about it with respect and with humility. And like I say, I'm thankful for, for the opportunities. I know I've had I have friends who, who don't come from those kind of backgrounds. So I know the other side of it as well. Uh, I feel I have empathy and, and, and understanding for, for people's situations. And that, that helps me to, to understand that the situation I'm in is extremely privileged and don't ever take that for granted because it can be gone. 
when we talk about um, struggle and talk about failure, explain to us how you, in your mind, because we've already mentioned how important self-talk is, how did you reframe moving from Manchester City to Notts County? Because it, anyone that watches football knows that's not a forward step, right? So what were you saying to yourself at that time about turning it into the right thing and the right place to be? Well, it's kind of like when you're trying to get your Wi-Fi to work and it won't work. You keep resetting, you keep resetting, it doesn't work. In the end, you have to turn the computer off and restart. Yeah. It was the same thing for me. I had to restart my career. I had to start from the beginning. I needed to go somewhere where they believed in me and where I could just play and, and not have that safety net. If this goes wrong, this is me, you know? And I got to a point at City where I was travelling to games, but I wasn't on the bench, wasn't playing. And that's not what football's about for me. Football's about playing. It's about being part of something. I would much rather play in League Two than sit on the bench in the Premier League. So for me to go to, to Notts County was the reset button. You know, press the reset button and restart and now go somewhere and prove that you can step out of that safety net and, and, uh, and do something. And, and we did. And it was, it was such an amazing season to be part of. So crazy. And things went on in, you know, with the whole Munto finance and, and things like that. And it, it taught me one thing that you can't affect these things. You can only affect what happens on the pitch. And, um, you know, I, I think I, I came there, I got paid the first two two or three months and then I didn't get paid after that. Wow. And, um, and it, again, it was one of those situations, but I didn't, it, not that I didn't care, but it didn't mean that much because I was playing. That was all I ever wanted was to play and we were doing, you know, we're doing all right. And then we got to the end of the season we, we you know, when Steve Cottrell came in and we just kicked on and won the league. And hmm. you know, that was an amazing experience. It's powerful to hear you talk like that because there are lots of people who listen to this podcast who are, at exactly the point that you were there where they kind of keep on restarting the computer but eventually they will need to turn it off the big problem with that and we talk about it a lot Damien is the fear and that's that's what stops people Casper. I mean you must have had fear that I might never play for a Premier League football team again that would be on your mind wouldn't it no <laughs> I love the fact you just shake your head no no it, I, I, again call it ignorance call it arrogance I, I knew so the way I grew up well, you know, I studied goalkeeping. I studied it long and hard and I could see it from, you know, close up. But, you know, when, when the, you know, the, the digital revolution came and YouTube started coming around, I could see other keepers. I could see, you know, I watched the Premier League. I watched everyone else. And at that point, I felt I'd done my homework. I'd done my due diligence. And I knew that I had everything in the locker to be a Premier League keeper. All I needed was someone to believe in me. Every single day, I wanted to push myself to be the best. I wanted to prove I was the best. I wanted to work harder than anyone else. I wanted to be first in, last out. I wanted to make a point of it that I was the best and you cannot get around me. You know, you can't avoid me. If it's going to take a month, a year, three years, dropping down the leagues, I will not prove you wrong. I will prove myself right. In that period where you were waiting for someone to believe in you, someone to give you a chance, where did you go to internally to keep that flame alive, to keep that self-belief and confidence that must have been taking a battering while you were waiting for the opportunity? Don't get me wrong, it was, it was tough. It was really hard mentally. You talked about at the start of the, of the programme about how, the, how footballers are perceived just because they earn lots of money, blah, 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 blah. You might say 
that you would you'd sacrifice missing your kids' birthdays. You you might say you'd sacrifice you know Christmas and New Year's and all these things. You might sacrifice not seeing your friends for months on end because you're training or you're doing this, that, and the other. But we actually do it. So for me, I was sacrificing a lot and not getting the opportunity. So that's tough mentally. What you learn is you are constantly being watched. You're constantly being evaluated. Everything you do from the second you step in, the car you arrive in, the clothes you arrive in, you know, how you act when you arrive at the training ground, go into the dressing room, how you talk to people, do you treat people with respect? All these things matter to managers and sporting directors and these kind of people. So it's not just on the pitch. So you have to be perfect in every aspect. It becomes tough. It definitely does. So for any of our listeners that can identify with this, Casper, what sort of techniques did you draw on to keep you at such a level of consistency that kept you showing up day after day after day? For me, it comes down to love. I love playing football. When I went to sleep, you know, my arms used to jerk or something like that because I, in my head I had, you know, I was dreaming football all the time. And every time you get the, the knockback, you say to yourself, well, is it worth it? And you, you look at the guy who's playing in front of you and you think, yeah, it is worth it. Because I know it'll come. If I keep doing the right things, it will come. I've just got to be patient. Now I'm at a different stage in my career. Sometimes it's the, you know, the, the days when it's, you know, minus degrees or it's, you know, pissing with rain or whatever it might be. But again, you go to that place in your head, do you love doing what you're doing? Yeah. Then you go to the other place for me, which is that trophy. That's the goal. But there is a risk, isn't there, that comes with people that achieve success, right? That they just, it, it extinguishes the flame. Were you at all concerned when you won it with Leicester? And did you have to think about, right, I need to make sure that I wake up tomorrow and I still want to be as good as I was yesterday? If you're thinking of as, as a team, that is a fear because not everyone's the same. You know, for some people, that's the pinnacle. And when you reach the summit, you actually realise when you reach that, that it's amazing, but then there's this void after where you think, right, well, what's next? How many times have we heard that, Damien? <laughs> it's, but it's such a good message, though, Casper, for people that are living a life thinking, when I get there, I'll be happy. What did Matthew McConaughey say? There is no yet. There is exactly, exactly. It, even in his in his in his uh, his Oscar speech, when he when he said, you know, are you your hero yet? Of course you're not. You're never going to reach that. I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to be happy or satisfied. I'll always think, ah, oh, if I only had done this or only had done that. But you know, it, it's finding that happy medium of being thankful for what you have achieved. And if this is my lot in, in life, in football, then okay, that's my lot. But it's not going to stop me chasing because I know the feeling of achievement. And that feeling of achievement, when you have been part of that process, for me, it was a 15-year a battle to, to win that trophy, you know. So you have to hit the reset button again, right? Okay. So how do you handle those guys then that like the idea of being a footballer? They just don't like playing football. They don't like the graft, the hard work that takes place in the shadows. How do you handle those when they're your teammates? Listen, it is, it is difficult. And I can't give you how many examples of, of players who haven't fulfilled their potential. Mm. You know, where you think if you just if you had a bit more desire about you, the things you could achieve. But you have to respect that not everyone's the same. 
But if there are colleagues of yours that do play their part in helping you reach the top and get there, how do you handle those guys? Well, that's where the, the role of the, the practical psychologist comes in. You know, as a, as a goalkeeper, you are, you are individual in a team sport. So you have to learn how to talk to each individual player. And you, the, the, the important thing is to get to know each player, what motivates them, what drives them. And then you've got to tap into that. This guy needs to be spoken to this way, whereas this guy might need, you know, an arm around his shoulder. This guy needs a, a kick up the arse sometimes, or something like that. So, you have to try and find whatever motivates them to get them to perform for all of you. Give us some clues, then, Casper. How do you go about developing relationships with teammates where you can get to that level of understanding their drivers, their motivations, and their different communication styles? It's a strange process, in the sense that. I've always found, and I, and I know this isn't probably what you'd expect to hear, but things like drinking together, like actually sitting down, having a drink together after a game, having a beer and talking. That is how you get to know people when they loosen off a little bit, you know, because we are, we are in a high pressure environment every day where you have to perform, you have to be at your best. So every now and then when you have that, that break and you can actually just sit yourselves down have a drink and have a chat and actually get to learn to, to know these people that you spend every single day with, but you might actually not know that much about them. And I've always found that the 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 the, the nights, the evenings, the dinners where you, you, you actually sit and just talk is is the, they're the most beneficial to the team. Everyone behaves in in a certain way because of their circumstance. You know, you don't know what the guy next to you is going through. If you're on at someone all the time to be performing, performing, performing but they've got something big going on outside that's distracting them. You're not going to get a positive response from that. You know, and you I need him to perform because I can't go and score the goal. I I'm a goalkeeper. I can only do what comes to me. I can't go looking for work. That's when mistakes happen. I can't go and tackle someone or run harder if if the game's not going my way. So if I'm shouting at someone and getting on someone and they're pressured from all sides at some point they're going to blow up and it's not going to be conducive to to success for, for for myself for the team so i think it's really important to get to know people and and to to understand the drivers within them and when you look back on that remarkable premier league win at leicester how much was the emotional connection between the players one of the most important elements i think the whole leicester case is a unique case because I've been at many clubs and I've never seen or, or experienced the club that runs the way Leicester does. It's the way they treat people. You're treated as a person and you feel important. And that came right from the very top with Kunvichai. The way he treated everybody. You could see the outpouring of grief when he died for a man that these people didn't know. What he's done for the club, the way he... He just showed respect to every single person. It didn't matter what position in the club you had. You were just as important. You were part of the machine. And to make the machine work, everyone has to do their part. That's what it's like in Leicester. You know, I've, I've never been in clubs where you've had a conversation with the CEO or the, or the, or the financial director or whatever. It just doesn't really happen. Or the owner of the club. But does that win games though? It does. Because I think it's really important that you, you, you know everybody within your organisation and, and you have a, a humility and respect and understanding that everybody does a, a job for a reason. In a football club, that reason is to win games. You know, they're not doing it to you. If, if the board are coming, like in, in the corona pandemic, you know, 
clubs were, were, were you know were having to go down in wage it's not them trying to be horrible or be idiots and try and, and this that and the other it's because it's a necessity the line of communication the openness and the honesty between the you know every level of the club is what makes it so successful and it, it means that you can respect everyone's point of view that's where Leicester's been been different to every other club I've been at this isn't to say Damien do you know what I really like about that answer from Casper right is that everything he's described there about a culture to win a Premier League trophy there's no magic there's no secrets there's nothing there that no one listening to this running their own business or working in a business can't replicate it's literally connecting with other people talking to each other sharing your emotions sharing your successes and failures and the a common shared attack towards one aim and that is that's so important for people to hear I think I think it's incredibly powerful but I can hear the imagined cries of so many people listening to this thinking, well, why is it so rare then? So you describe it as being unusual, Casper, and given your experience at other clubs, why would you describe this experience as being so rare? I don't understand why it's so hard to be a human for so many people. Many clubs, and and clubs particularly at the moment, you know, the, the, the management position is a revolving door. You know, so people don't actually take the time because they don't have the time. You lose two, three games, you're out. You don't actually have time to bond with people in that sense. Leicester is is different in the sense we have players who have been there, myself, nearly 10 years. You know, you've still got Wes, you've got Fuxi, you've got, you know, Vaz, Mark Albright. You know, so many players who've been there and there's a reason they stay because they feel valued. They feel like that they're part of something. Mark Albrighton's the perfect example. Every manager that's come into Leicester has dropped Mark Albrighton straight away. And every single time, he's worked his way back. He's someone you need to speak to on this podcast because you talk about performance, you talk about getting knocked back. That guy just keeps getting back up. He kind of epitomizes what it's about. You can translate it to every profession because if you want to achieve something, you need people working to their best capabilities. So as a CEO or a leader, that was what I did. He made sure everyone felt good. That, that means so much to people because I think particularly in England, there's, there's, a, there's a society where, you know, there's lots of difference between rich and poor, you know, and Kuvichai had every reason to be an idiot. He could do whatever he wanted if he want. Like, no, who's going who's gonna to say anything against him? The guy's a billionaire, but he chose not to. He chose to be a nice guy. He chose to be a good person. You know, and, and I think that's really difficult when you have that amount of wealth. And I think people get surprised. So, Casper, explain to us then, when somebody comes to join your dressing room at Leicester and doesn't quite get this, you know, maybe comes in with full of airs and graces or with a little bit of swagger, how do you induct them to get them to understand that that doesn't carry much weight or currency within your world? Oh, they'll understand it. They'll, 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 they'll get to understand it, but... Again, it comes from the top. You, you feel valued, you feel welcome. You're coming into a squad that a lot of established players who know what the club's about and they'll know who you are and they'll have respect for that. But again, a team has to be made. You can't just have 11 workhorses on the pitch. You have to have the, the, the flamboyant, the, uh, you know, the, the, the prima donna or the, uh, you know, the, the, the person in the you know, James Madison pink boots. And you have to have these characters to form a good team. You know, in Leicester, the, the recruitment's been, you, you've had your, you started with Anthony Knockhart, you had, then Riyad Mahrez came in. You know, these kind of players 
you'd say don't fit the mold of a Leicester player, but you have to have that difference as well. Yeah. Take, for example, Riyad. Riyad was able to do what he did at Leicester because of someone like Danny Simpson. Because he knew that Danny Simpson, he wasn't the overlapper, he wasn't the one who was going to come and create with him. But he knew he could just go because Simo would sit there and cover him. So if he lost the ball, Simo was there. You know, so that gave Riyad the, the freedom and and the you know the the ability just to express himself and, and do his thing. And his thing, he saw things differently. You know, he he sees things passes that I don't see or any or other people don't see. And that's what sets Jamie Vardy up for goals. That's what creates confusion because he knows the guy behind him. He's uh he's got his back if if that's the case and like I say the makeup of a team is 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 very very uh very important because you have to have different personalities you have to have the you know the hard hitting the winners the real the drivers mm. you've got to have people who can calm situations down you have you've got to have loads of different so what's your role then um I try to lead by example you know I try to to do the right things as as much as I can you know uh, I I try to always be the hardest worker in the room I think it's important to show you know, at the age I'm, I'm at, that that it still means the world to me. They have to see that I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to work just as hard, harder than anybody else, to get there. My role is 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 to communicate and to play as well as I can. Be steady. The best games I ever have are the ones you don't notice me in, because then I've done my job perfectly with my defence. You know, that's where we have been in perfect tandem, and we have. Uh, we've stopped chances from occurring. For me, it's never been about making great saves and being eye-catching, this, that, and the other. It's been about just finding consistency so that the team know that they can depend on me. The big problem with, with goalkeeping, from uh, my perspective, standing on the sidelines, alongside normally strikers, Casper, as you know, talking about goalkeepers, yes. is that the midfielders or the strikers can miscontrol the ball four or five times a game, misplace a pass, no problem. You do it once... And it leads to a goal. You are operating at the absolute edge of failure. And we love people to get to that point because it's only when you're right on the edge of failure that you're really finding out what your limits are. How do you become comfortable with millions of people watching every single game you play with failure? The fact that you deal in a world where millimetres is what matters. You've, you've actually said the opening line of uh, of. of when I do go out and, and, and do speeches to people, that is, I work in millimetres. That's my first line. The slightest millimetre is the difference between success and failure in my profession. And as a goalkeeper, you cannot make mistakes. You have to be perfect. Any mistake will cost your team. To accept and love and revel in that responsibility, you have to be crazy because, like you say, you are operating on the edge of failure every single time. Mm. So you have to love that you are the guy who has to be perfect every time. Do you enjoy that? I, I, think, I don't think you can be a keeper if you don't enjoy that. You have to accept failure as part of the game. I, I will dissect every single goal that goes in and think I should have saved that. Everything, doesn't matter how it goes, whether it's near post, as your commentators love to, uh, love to talk about, which is, which is that, rubbish, yeah. but any goal that goes in, I will always look at it and think, I should have done that, I could have done that, why didn't I do that? This, you know, I will always find a reason why I didn't save it and say I should have done something else. I remember um, a game against Bournemouth not long ago when you came out in the press afterwards, didn't you? Did you not accept, you sort of accepted responsibility for, for that defeat for Leicester? 
How quickly on the pitch are you able to recover from being annoyed with yourself? What can I do about it? I can't do anything about it now. So the worst thing I can do now is to back it up with another mistake. It's about recomposing yourself, resetting again. Okay, that's happened. We start again. Because as a keeper, when you come looking for work, that's when trouble happens. Mistakes will happen. But you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, I've done everything. All right, I made a mistake. That happens. Did you play it over in your mind mid-game? No. When the ball's no. at the end of the pitch, are you no, thinking, why, really? It's gone. No, you, like, when it happens, you think, you know, I can't say the words I was thinking, but it's gone. The only thing I can affect is the next bit. And again, like I say, I can't do it all myself. That's probably the most difficult part of goalkeeping. You know, we, we, we take our game against, uh, against Crystal Palace the other week. Um, the whole game, my entire game plan, everything I wanted to do in that game came off perfectly. And ball comes to the back post, Zaha kicks it, it takes a deflection off James Justin and goes under my arm. And I know for a fact that the cameras won't pick up on the deflection and the people in the studio won't pick up on the deflection. But I know there's nothing I can do about that. I cannot do anything about that. I, the ball was coming straight to my chest and I was going to catch it. But the deflection took it under my arm and it looked strange. And I know in my head straight away that's going to be my fault in people's perception. But I know it's not my fault. I know I could have done nothing about that because of the deflection. So that rids me of, of any blame in my head, which means I move on straight away. I couldn't have done anything different. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And there's a real paradox here that really intrigues me, Casper, that you are it seems by nature, a bit of a risk taker. So the example that you share about leaving Manchester City and dropping down divisions to play for Knox County because you were so desperate to play is the actions of somebody that's prepared to gamble and take a risk. And yet you play in a position that is by its very nature defensive. 
you almost play not to lose, that taking risks is something that can harm harm the team. So how do you go about squaring that circle against your natural nature, against the requirements of your job? It comes down to the type of goalkeeper you want to be. And the game has changed so much from when I made my debut for Darlington to where we are now. As a keeper, now you're being asked to play out from the back. So when you do that, naturally, more risk is is taken. And when, when we had fans, you know, you, you could feel the crowd when you when I've got the ball and they just wanted to kick it along. They'll judge someone, they'll judge a goalkeeper in distribution if the ball goes, if they hit over hit at one shot. But a midfielder can do that loads of times. They can make mis- passing mistakes all the time. We can't make passing mistakes. We have to be perfect every single time because if we're not, we lose. Or we, well, we, we potentially, there's a big, big risk that we lose the game. So for me, we, you know, I train a lot with the outfielders to make sure that I can do these things, but also that they know I can do them. So they trust me. They know they can bounce the ball back to me and I can control it. You know, they know that if they give me a difficult ball to my left foot or to my right foot, I can still do something constructive with it. And all of this is going on in the, the sort of most public arena you can imagine, not just the fans in the stadium. Um, we can't wait till that is happening again, but everyone at home and your teammates and former teammates and pundits and other managers and your opponents who are watching you as well. So how do you go about removing all the ego from this so that it doesn't become about you and then it doesn't become internalised in those big moments where you need to make a save. You know, it's it's a challenge, isn't it? Not to kind of let pride be the centre of everything that you do, Casper. I think ego is a really interesting aspect because I have a massive ego, but I'm also a massive team player. Um, so how do the two work together? Well, they work together in the sense that the, that the pride I have in not conceding is so big and it, it hurts me if it's in training it oh, it kills me every time a goal goes in it annoys the hell out of me but you have to sometimes remove the pride remove the ego because if you are too hung up it's like burning a trophy so if you're too hung up on, on what you've done what you've achieved who you are then you're not focused on now I talk a lot about removing the ego from situations and you can you know, you could probably even go back, you can take this to a different analogy of, of, of maybe in, in, in the business world of, of Blockbuster back in the day when they had the opportunity to buy Netflix. Maybe the ego is too big to, you know, we're too big for this. That won't be a challenge. And you see what happens. And it's the same here. You have to remove that ego and say, well, I am also just a very small cog in the big machine. At the end of the day, I don't really care if I played bad or great as long as we win. I, I always get asked this thing about clean sheets. Like, clean sheets mean nothing to me. As long as we win, I don't care. But that's interesting, though, for someone who admits they have a bit of an ego. And, and I, by the way, can I just say, I don't think that saying I've got an ego should be seen as a negative thing. I mean, we, we've already discussed, you've admitted you've got an ego. You've admitted you went to a League Two football club as a young guy and still believed you'd win the Premier League. Like, what's the point thinking anything else, Casper? And I wish people would understand this. What's the point thinking bad stuff negatively about yourself? I can't see a benefit, can you? I can't. I, I talk a lot to the younger keepers about when they make mistakes. If it, You know, I used to be real aggressive to myself making mistakes. And my coaches and all, they're like, stop doing that. You don't, you don't need to show that you've made a mistake because I don't know if you've made a mistake. So that's why I keep telling these youngsters, you know, if they're doing something and they're trying to catch it and they haven't quite caught it, style it out. 
Make it look as if that's exactly what I was trying to do. I'm in control here. Don't let me know that you're annoyed with yourself because that just gives people ammo to come for you. Say, oh yeah, that was, that was pretty bad. People are going to come for you anyway. Just don't give them any more ammunition. And control the controllable. Don't go on social media. Don't read about yourself because what are you going to gain by that, by someone else's opinion of you? Mm. Because it's so easy to have a negative opinion of someone and tweet it or write it anonymously. Does it impact you, social media, other people's opinions? Not at all. I don't read it. What if you did? What would I win from that? What, like, that's the question. What can I gain from doing that? Because you might read a hundred really nice comments, but you'll look at the one bad comment and that'll be the one you obsess over. Have your people. So I have my people. I have my board. I will go to my trusted people when it comes to football, when it comes to personal life, when it comes to business, when it comes to anything. I'll have the people that I trust, their opinions. So goalkeeping, I'll go to former coaches that I, I still have a good relationship with. I'll go with certain teammates, certain former teammates, certain colleagues, and discuss it with them. And I value their opinions. And that's the input I'll take. And it's so important, I don't want yes men. One example, when I was when I was younger, I used to take the ball. I didn't notice I was doing it at all for a goal kick. I used to take it, throw it up behind me and catch it like that. And one of my old coaches said, what are you doing with that? You look an idiot doing that. You look cocky. You, you have to realise that, like you said, Jay, you're being evaluated constantly. Everything you're doing is being evaluated. I can control what I take into my mind. I can't control what people are going to write about me in papers and social medias and all that. And again, I've done my homework. I know if I've had a bad game or if, I'd have a, if I've had a great game. I don't need that validation. So what's your selection criteria for becoming a member of the board then, Casper? Um, honesty is the main one. You've got to be honest. Even if it hurts, even if it's uncomfortable conversation, I want you to say it. The whole aim, the whole goal of it is, in, is to improve. Here's the question then, before we get onto our quick fire questions to finish off. Um, I think if I asked this question to you when you were 17, your answer would be to win the Premier League. So let me ask it to you now. How, what are you now, 30, 31? <laughs> 34. <laughs> oh, yeah, years yeah, left. That, yeah. Years left, Casper. Uh, um, let me ask it to you now then as a 34-year-old, not as a teenager. For you now, what is a good life lived? Wow, that's deep. Basically seeing my family happy. That's the, that's the only thing that matters to me. Football is is a is a great a massive part of my life, but there's nothing that comes close to to what it means to have your family around you. Um, I've I have been away from my family for for large large periods. I've missed large periods of my kids' lives, and football gives you a lot. It also takes a lot. So the day I retire. I will really look forward to the everyday of being with my children and being with my family and actually being a dad in the sense of being able to be there when, you're, when your kids are hurt, you're not at a hotel or you're not been away for 12 days with the national team. If they need your help, if they need you for, for homeschooling, homework, whatever it may be, uh, to be able to be there for them, uh, support them and see them happy, see them thriving, that, that, that would be a life well lived for me. So to follow on from that then, Casper, your obvious love and passion for playing football has shone through in so many of the answers that you've given us. So I'm interested in, how do you intend to go and 
find the next thing to fall in love with beyond your family for when you can't continue to play football? I don't fear the day I can't play anymore. I, I look forward to it in a positive way. There's, it's as if there's a whole new world opening up for me. There's possibilities every single direction. Um, football will always be there in some capacity, whatever capacity that may be. It's life's a buffet. All of a sudden, you choose your direction and try it. I want to try things. I want to travel. I want to. I want to go back to all these places I've played in and actually see them, not just see the airport and the hotel and the stadium. I've actually re always really made a point of everywhere I've gone with the national team. I'm, I'm lucky. I've got teammates and, and, and a particular goalkeeper coach for Denmark who really loves to go for walks. So, so many times, night, night before games, we'll go for a long, long walk in the city. You know, hoods up, hats on and all that, so no one can see who we are. But we'll go for a long, long walk and actually just see the cities that we're in. I'd love to go back to so many of these places and, and experience them again. I'd love to travel, I'd love to take my children, show them the world, show them all these places that I've been and, and experience them with them. It's almost, it's actually really, really exciting. Probably if you'd asked me that question when I was 17, I'd have feared that day. For me, in my head, there's a long, long time before that will happen and my, my kids will be will be in their late teens by the time that'll happen. But that's the, the that's the gift and the, the price of football at the same time. And can I ask you one last question? We've not really ha found anywhere to squeeze it into this, but one of the big themes that we picked up on the podcast series, Casper, is the futility of comparisons, you know, comparing you, your insides to other people's outsides. And yet you've been born into a family where comparisons are going to be inevitable and you've chosen to go into an industry where those comparisons get even harder. What advice would you have for anyone listening to this about coping with comparisons and what you've learned from it? I think going into it, I was probably very naive. I didn't think the comparison was going to be that big. Yeah, it was. And uh, I was already in it that deep. I couldn't really change it, but I'm being compared with one of the best goalkeepers ever. So I don't know. It, it's one of those standards is what you set yourselves and standards in my family are different to maybe other families so I've won one Premier League we, we've won five we've won six in my family now you know that's the standards so for me getting a professional career wasn't enough my dad won the Premier League he won the Champions League as captain you know he played he has the record appearances for his country that's the standard so that gives me something to strive for you know that gives me motivation that I've got to do at least something that, that's similar. I think winning the league with Leicester is, is, is a unique experience, but, you know, I'm still four short, you know? So that, that gives you something to chase. It's great. But, but it's, it's something that lifts you up and powers you on. It's not something that um, overwhelms you. It doesn't really bother me anymore. It, it, it's actually, it, it uplifts me because of who my dad was or is, what was as a player, um, it's it's the it's the mindless endless questioning of the same thing you know so you, you you can't really have a press conference particularly like when you go international football you know journalists who don't normally have access to you have access to you so they want to ask you the same thing over and over and over again and still at the age of 34 people are still asking me about these things you know you know, I'm a grown man with, with, with kids and, and a life and, and people, I, I, I heard Martin Keown, it was one of my friends sent a, like a video clip of Martin Keown calling me young Casper Schmeichel. People still see me as a child. You thought I was 30. I'm 34, 
but I'm seen as someone's son. I can't change that. That's what I've had to accept. You can win the league. You can be 34, have kids, all this. You're still someone's son. I can't change that. So why fight it? The only thing I can be is me. And that's good enough for me. If people want to compare, let them compare. I can't do anything about that. What a brilliant and strong way to, to finish the interview. Let's um, jump onto our quick fire questions now, Casper. Um, as you know, because you listen to the pod, we always ask these to every guest. So three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you have to buy into. Passion, love, striving for excellence. What advice would you give to a teenage Casper just starting out? Strap yourself in, get ready for a ride. It's, um, it's going to be some ride. Um, and it's not over, so I don't know if it's going to be worth it, but... I'm sure it is. Um, how important is legacy to you? It's it's important. I think if I if I want to leave a legacy, I want to leave a legacy of 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 being a good person, being the person who who, despite having an ego, also is selfless and puts the team uh, and others above himself. Being hard worker is something that I pride myself on, and and always giving my best, striving for excellence, getting absolutely every ounce of of uh, of potential out of me you know uh and not wasting a day not wasting a single day is important i actually have a, a my my goalkeeper coach who i mentioned before is a family friend he was my father's understudy for the danish national team and uh, he uh he's been my goalkeeper coach for denmark all through my denmark career uh he always used to say something uh, to me which not, never really hit home until a certain day where he always used to say there's a number on everything you will breathe a certain amount of times on this earth you will sleep a certain amount you'll play a certain amount of games everything has a number so enjoy it that was basically what he's saying and and three years ago he was diagnosed with cancer and that really hit home for me three years ago when when he told me that all those things he was saying you only have a certain amount so enjoy it and it's the same with football for me. Like I, every single day I'm on the pitch, enjoy it. It could be my last. So finally then, Casper, what's your one golden rule for living a high performance life? Give your best, always. No matter what it is, whether it's uh, cooking a meal for your family, make it the best meal you can make it. Whether it's playing in a, in a football game in the Premier League, do, do your absolute best. That's the only thing I always say to my kids. I don't care how well you do at school. I don't care. As long as you are giving everything, you're doing your best, then I can never, ever ask for any more. And as a, as a podcast listener, Casper, we're collating little uh, clips of people talking about why these sorts of conversations about mindset and drive and approach are so important. Would you mind just sharing with us why you listen to the pod, why you think this kind of a conversation is an important one for people to have? Well, I'm... I'm the type of guy I, I love to be inspired and the people on your podcast are inspiring people and that comes from all walks of life so for me to have like Matthew McConaughey said you have someone to chase you know have someone to, to look up to someone to mirror yourself in I've had that all the way through my life all the way through my career I've had someone someone to mirror myself someone to to, to teach me something and you know, you can, you're can. you never the finished article. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be a hero. But strive and be inspired by the people. And uh, 
I loved the, the Steven Gerrard one, but he talked about being obsessed. I just loved that, and I really took that. That that's exactly what I felt. I just didn't know how to articulate it. That's exactly what I was. I was obsessed with being the best. I still am obsessed with being the best I can be. So let yourself be inspired by others, which is which is what the, the people that you've had on uh, have done for me. Brilliant. Um, listen, if we're inspiring someone who's captaining a Premier League side who are pushing for the title, I think there's something there's something good about this podcast. Um, and listen, mate, to sit here and speak to you like this for the last hour and a bit is is a real pleasure for us. And what stands out for me is the fact that you've life has been broken down into the challenge of being born as the son of Peter Schmeichel, the failure of having to drop away from Man City and go down to the bottom, having to win the Premier League and work out how you don't let that derail you. You know, you've clearly thought every single stage about the bigger picture, um, yet amongst all of that big picture stuff, still been able to focus on yourself to deliver in those games. And the combination of the two is an example of unbelievable emotional intelligence. And um, it's a pleasure for you to not just sit here and share it with us, but it makes me feel positive about the game of football. And this is why I don't feel we give footballers enough credit or enough love because look what you are. And we just break you down as people that kick a ball about. And I hope that that changes. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure and uh, keep going. I'm, I'm looking forward to your next ones. Damien. Jake. Oh, I enjoyed that so much. Uh, it, for Casper to come on here and be so open and honest is one thing. But what really hits home for me is that he clearly has thought about all of this stuff over the years, hasn't he? And, he, and now at the age of 34, he kind of feels in a place to share it, possibly for the first time. Yeah, I thought it was a real privilege. I thought it was just a brilliant example of that great quote that there's lots of people that would like to be a footballer. They just don't want to make the sacrifices of playing football. But I thought with him, I, I loved his obvious passion and I loved his desire to work in the shadows and learn his craft before he goes out there and showcases it to the world. I thought it was a real privilege to speak with him. I mean, it doesn't matter that it's football. It could be in any industry. I think anybody with that obvious desire and passion to want to go master a craft is going to be successful at whatever they do. But I wonder what he struggles with, because we spoke about the fact that he, you know, he's great around the dressing room and he ignores the pressure of social media and he seems at ease with the fact that his dad achieved so much and he's able to put failure behind him himself really quickly and move on. What's difficult for him, you know? Yeah, I think that the idea of the position that he plays in was fascinating. You know, he plays in a position of playing not to lose. You know, the idea that being a goalkeeper is defensive by its very nature and yet Casper seems to be a risk taker or a gambler and I think having to learn to curtail those instincts and make sure that what he does fits into the bigger picture of his team I think that was why he constantly referenced the idea of having a bigger picture of realizing that sometimes you've got to take a step back to be able to take two steps forward and I think that's the same in terms of his performance on the field, as much as it is for life. You have to take risks to be successful. And I think it's a really good reminder for any of our listeners that watch him performing for Leicester, having listened to this podcast, okay? If they see him either lifting a trophy in the next little while or playing a brilliant game or leaving Leicester in a lovely car and they find themselves just almost by chance going, Casper Schmeichel's lucky. Remind yourself 
about the pressure of your dad and the failure and having to go to Notts County and, and go again or conceding a poor goal and learning the tricks to put that behind you or having to individually learn about each member of your squad to lift them all up. There's no luck here. Yeah, definitely. I think it goes back to that challenge we laid out to him about how do you get up and run when you're wearing silk pyjamas? In other words, when you've grown up with a life of privilege and luxury, how do you force yourself to get out there and struggle and experience difficulties? And I think the answer to that goes back to the obvious passion that Casper had. I think when you've got a passion, you're happy to go and dive into the minutiae where you want to go and learn your craft and invest plenty of hard work to understand how to get better at what you're doing. And I think it's an important point that it doesn't matter where you come from. I think the important element is whether you have that passion to want to go and work hard to get better at what you're doing. And that's been a hallmark of all the high performers that we've been lucky enough to speak to, Jake. And yet again, what a great conversation with a footballer. And like we said at the very beginning of the podcast, we need to start having these kinds of conversations with these kinds of people more often to humanise them. Yeah, I think it's really important to have our perceptions challenged. You know, I think we often live in a world of caricatures, of stereotypes, of sort of two-dimensional people, you know, spoiled footballers or noble rugby players, you know, that kind of shallow analysis. And I think it's important to recognise that anybody that reaches the levels of high performance that we're discussing is not there by accident. They've not found themselves there by chance. They've all had to go out and dedicate themselves, sacrifice so many things and commit themselves to going out there and reaching their ambitions. And I just feel really privileged that we have the chance to listen to some of these stories and I find them hugely inspiring and I hope that people find them hugely illuminating themselves. What a way to start Series 4, hey? Ah, it's fantastic. Wonderful. Thanks, Damien. Thanks, Jake. I've loved it as always. Well, Damien, there you go. The first episode of the new series. We're back. I know it's fantastic to be back as well, isn't it, Jake? I'm really excited for this new series. And you know what's been nice is that now that we've we've hit, sort of hit the fourth series, when we disappear, we don't really disappear, do we? We're both getting messages every single day from people who are finding this podcast for the very first time. Yeah, and it's people going back into the archives and listening to interviews from the first series and getting so much value out of them. I think that was a big intent of both of ours, Jake, that we wanted this to be timeless. We don't want it to be something that people listen to and then discard. We want it where people can go back and discover some of the treasures that previous guests have left for them to find. And look, the point of this podcast, guys, is that we want it to be a community. And one of the best ways to do that is for you to rate and review the pod. We see all the reviews you leave. Andrew says he's listened to a few of the episodes. They've been fantastic in helping with his self-doubt. Georgie is um, a biology teacher and a hockey player and has picked up so many simple but important messages from the podcast. Um, a retired PE teacher got in touch to say they've been interested in the mental approach of top athletes. And this podcast is really informative. But I want to read out a message from Jack Staffs saying, uh, Jake and Damien, I've loved smashing through these podcasts on my morning walks along the river. A really positive way to start the day and to provide focus for the day ahead. However, one interesting point, could you dive into this? Jake, you've mentioned previously that happiness is something we're after. Can you explore why it's not a destination, but it's an emotional state and how we can achieve happiness and joy 
in the process of getting to our goal. Once again, I love the pod. What's your instant reaction to that, Damien? Well, first of all, it's incredibly kind feedback, but I think the question is a really important one. I think that we've regularly used the phrase, Jake, that we're in it for the outcome, not the income, uh, in terms of what we're trying to achieve of helping people to start asking these questions. But equally, that phrase of getting fixated on the outcome is the bit that is a mistake if that's where we're focused on. What everybody has told us from Johnny Wilkinson to Tyrone Mings to Kelly Holmes, if you're only focused on winning that gold medal, becoming a Premier League footballer, making millions in business, that feeling is fleeting. You have to enjoy the journey, the process of getting there. If you don't have the passion to enjoy the uh, the hard work, the discipline, the process of learning your craft, it's not worthwhile. The outcome is never worth it when you get to that destination. And I think that's part of the problem, right, Damien, is that in our heads we build up how great the, the moment of arrival is going to be. And, and, you know, like Matthew McConaughey, didn't he, told us there is no yet on a previous episode of this podcast. And I remember buying my first ever car, right, it was about eight and a half thousand pounds. I was working on Children's BBC at the time. It was a, a British Racing Green MGF. And all the things I've done and all the things I've bought in the 20 years from buying that car to now, nothing's given me a thrill like buying my first car. And I think we have to remember that it is not about that moment. There isn't that wow, I've done it moment. It is, it is the enjoyment of the journey. You're totally right. Yeah, and I think that example of you buying the car, it's the anticipation of earning your own money, being able to research where you were going to buy it from, the thrill of feeling that you'd done it on your own merit. That's where the process is. That's where the journey is to be able to achieve that outcome. Great. Well, look, Damien, we're back. It feels good, doesn't it? And we've got, I mean, we've got some amazing guests to land up, haven't we, over the next few weeks? I'm really, really excited to reveal uh, some of them. You know, some of them we met um, towards the end of last year and the amount of uh, insights, the generosity of sharing that they gave us and just the trust that they placed in us to be able to tell their story in a discreet and sensitive manner just feels like like a real honour. And I'm really excited that we get to reveal it over the next couple of months. Tell you what we could do for the new series. How about at this point, Damien, we play a small snippet of a guest that's going to be on the pod next week, just so it whets people's appetite. What do you think? That's a brilliant idea, yeah. All right, then. Um, This is uh, Josh Warrington, next week's guest on the High Performance Podcast. Here's a quick clip of the kind of thing you're going to hear. You know, when you walk into the ring, you can't complain about, I wish I'd have done this, I wish I'd done that. That's it, now it's happening. You're going to get found out there. I'll run testing fights, so it would be a case of... If I don't do anything about it, I ain't got no one else to rely on it. My dad can say whatever he wants in the corner. He can say, pick it up. If I ain't got the engine to do so, who's that down to? Well, there you go. Look, if that isn't enough to get you subscribing and listening and coming back for more, I don't know what is. Damien, thank you so much, mate. Pleasure, Jake. I love it as always. Thank you for having me. Me too. Uh, A big shout out as always to you for making this happen. You're the reason why we're sitting here and almost 3 million people have been helped and impacted by the High Performance Podcast. Please, please, please rate, review, check us out on Instagram, find us on YouTube, but become part of the conversation around the High Performance Podcast. And before we go, I just want to let you know that things will be a little bit different from the High Performance Podcast this series. Not only will there be the episodes dropping every single Monday, we're also going to give you bonus episodes on a Wednesday as well. So many people have been saying, can I have more than one a week? 
So why not? We'll just give you an episode on a Wednesday as well. And then on a Friday, if you've had a hard week, if you've got a big weekend coming up, if you're feeling a bit challenged, we've got some little short episodes, just little short five minute hits of inspiration to lift you up every Friday as well. So you need to check back in with the podcast three times a week now. Basically, Damien, what we're saying is there's no escaping us. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the idea that um, those hits of inspiration, it's just about lifting people up. It, you know, we're in the lockdown time. Some people are struggling with it. So if we can give them a little injection of positivity uh, on a more frequent basis, uh, hopefully it helps. So there you go. The High Performance Podcast coming every Monday, a bonus episode on a Wednesday and a short episode on a Friday as well. Don't forget to find us on YouTube. Just search for High Performance Podcast. You can also find us on Instagram as well at High Performance. Please rate, please review, but please come back for more. We are just here to make you feel better and to live a great high performance life. Have a wonderful day. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.